Good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Again, we're in the uh, book of Judges for this, uh, this next couple months. If you want to turn to chapter 4, we're going to be starting in on chapter 4 with uh, Deborah and Barak. There's probably going to be a few more people coming in here in a minute. So Judges chapter 4, and uh, I'd like to say a prayer before our class this morning. All right, would you bow with me? Most Heavenly Father, we come before you today thanking you for all that you do for us, thanking you for your word and the insight into who you are and what you've done for your people throughout history. Father, as we, as we meditate on and focus on what you've done, may we apply that into our lives. May we remember what you've done and the power, how, how powerful you are. And let us not take that for granted. Let us not doubt the things that you can do in our lives. Let us not be anxious and worry about our future. Thank you for that hope, Father, that you give to us, that gift of salvation. May we uh, always be encouraged by that and spread the wonderful news of that. So, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, again, we're in Judges chapter 4. Uh, behind me is a map of that region during that time. And that's going to be pretty pivotal in the book that we're going to be reading. Uh, so during this time of Deborah and Barak, it's about 1240 B.C. And in chapter 4, verse 1, it starts out how like they mostly do. Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. I'm going to stop here because we're going to look at where, see where Hazor is. So it's right right up at the top of the map here. Again, this is a blown up version of the blown up of the area, so that way we can see kind of uh, the general layout. So that's where this king, essentially of Hazor, uh, has or sorry, king of Canaan has placed himself as in Hazor. Uh, and you can see that it's kind of the upper portion of the Israelite land, kind of right in the middle of it. And, of course, you see that the Canaanites are are essentially a thorn in their side during this entire time because they're right in the middle of the territory. And then continue reading. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Hirosheth Hagoyim. All right, so let's see where that is up here. Uh, let's see, Hirosheth Agoyim. It's right about the right in this area. So, uh, how this is laid out is pretty pivotal again because we have the mountain ranges of the hill country extending up this uh, all along the Jordan, and this huge valley. 
there's a huge valley going through here, uh, this, this portion. If you have a, a map, it might not hurt to look at it also in your Bibles. So we have the, uh, the river of Kishon. It's going to be coming right through this valley. So um, we'll talk a little bit about more in a second, but let's, let's read uh, a few more lines here. So Sisera is at Hirasheth Agoyim, and uh, the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, for he had... 900 iron chariots, and he oppressed the sons of Israel severely for 20 years. So 900 chariots at his disposal is pretty, obviously a pretty huge number. And especially when we were talking about before how the Israelites only had uh, foot soldiers. And these foot soldiers weren't even that organized. Um, we know how, how large of a, of a number the Israelites were, but they were spread out through such a large area and to each his own tribe. And so they weren't very united at this time. Uh, so you pretty much have groups of men that would collect together and fight against the people that were in their areas to drive them out. And of course, we read about multiple times how they, they neglected the instructions of God, and, and they didn't. Uh, so for 20 years, uh, and we're talking about severely, uh, Sisera was pretty harsh in his, uh, in his uh, fighting and in his... Uh, execution of of whatever it might be um so obviously they uh, were crying out for a long time about that um now deborah in chapter four make sure that that's oh and chariots again chariots against foot soldiers it's pretty easy um when you got foot soldiers against foot soldiers they fight against each other and, and the most time you get uh, a victory is when you break the ranks and you're able to separate uh, the men from the large group break them up into smaller pieces and you kind of dismantle them that way uh, and the chariots helped out with that they were like mobile fighting platforms it's easy to easy to flank somebody and so the chariots would go, usually go out first uh, either to do flanking maneuvers uh, or even encircle uh, the opposing army and harass them that way so that way it would break up those ranks before the foot soldiers behind them even were able to come up and uh, uh, finish them off essentially and break through the ranks completely and cause them to, to be routed, to fight them away. So 900 chariots can do that pretty effectively against, again, against just the foot soldiers of Israel. Um, but now we read about Deborah, um, a, a prophetess. And, and there's not that many, there's, there's multiple prophetesses, prophetesses, female prophets, um, throughout the Old Testament, even into the New Testament. Um, and she was the wife of Lapidoth, and she was judging Israel at that time. Um, she used to sit or live under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel. And that is... Uh, I have to look here, because it's pretty low down. I think I might have cut it off. Yeah, it's, I cut it off. It's down here lower south in Ephraim. Um, so that was the area that she's from. And uh, it's in the hill country of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel would come up to her for judgment. Obviously to help settle those issues that they had. Now she sent and summoned Barak, who, interestingly enough, was listed in the hero, Heroes of Faith in Hebrews. But uh, Barak is the son of Abinoam from Kedesh, Naphtali. 
and said to him, Behold, the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor, and take with you ten thousand men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera for you. Excuse me, I lost my spot here. I will draw out uh, Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops to the river Kishon, and I will give them into your hand. Uh, now, that's a pretty hefty request. Uh, first of all, in gathering the armies. She obviously at this point had been able to encourage um, the people of the area to raise up enough men for that. 10,000 people from that area is pretty good uh, to go fight against 900 chariots, which is a heavily lopsided uh, lopsided uh, conflict. Um, but, and, and I think that's pro- what has to do with Barak's response. Because uh, I think that the Canaanites at that time had about 10,000 people with the 900 chariots, so they were equally opposed when it comes to the foot soldiers, but then, of course, the 900 chariots just um, heavily outweighed the, the uh, Israelite army. And uh, later we'll read in the... Um, the song, essentially, that she does, the, the kind of the victory song later on, that it wasn't only Naphtali and Zebulun, but we'll also read that Ephraim uh, and Benjamin and Manasseh and Isaac are also contributed um, to that military force. So it wasn't just those two, um, but those were the main contributors of the, the forces, the soldiers that fought. So um, we'll read a little bit more here. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey you are about to take. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Now, Barak is from uh, Kadesh, which is... It's a little bit higher. I think I could... Oh, there we go. It's right at the top. And it's interesting because you can see that he's on the other side of Hazor here, where the uh, Jabin is. So they come from Kadesh, and they take their army down to Mount Tabor, which is right uh, on the northern portion of the... There's Mount Tabor right there. So we have the valley. We have... Cicero with his 900 chariots here, kind of overlooking this valley here. And we have the army of the Israelites around Mount Tabor, which again, Mount Tabor looks over the opposite end of that valley, so they can essentially see each other through the valley. Um, now this valley, make sure I'm not getting ahead of myself here. Yeah. This valley is uh, a major um, strategic location in this region, in the whole region. It accesses, uh, you might have heard this area, Megiddo. It's referred to quite often. Uh, This valley is the only break, major break, in this mountain range that comes up and goes all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. 
and then this valley cuts right between it, and then more hill, hill country here. So if you want to access this region or this region, you have to go through Megiddo. Obviously, if you're going north, if you're going south, then you still have to go through Megiddo from that area to access these huge plains area here. And in fact, in uh, about 200 years earlier, uh, 1457 or 1479, um, Pharaoh Thutmose uh actually brought up about a thousand chariots from Egypt along with 10,000 men and fought the Canaanites in the same location. Uh, and the Canaanites had the same amount, about 10,000 10, men with a thousand chariots. So that was an equal match. And uh, so the Pharaoh actually... Uh, beat the Canaanites in that location 200 years earlier, and he actually claimed that he uh, captured 947 chariots of the Canaanites in, in the Battle of Megiddo. Uh, and of course, it was a staggering loss to the, the Canaanites. So 200 years later, they have about that many chariots um, again, and these are iron chariots, uh, like what we were talking about before, so pretty heavy. Uh, again, that's the heavy armor of the day. And um, again, it's just, I couldn't imagine trying to fight that kind of battle in, in, a, in a valley. So we're going to read some more here about that, except, let me mention a couple more things, sorry. Um, later in this valley, Josiah actually fought against an Egyptian king, and that's where he was killed uh, by Pharaoh uh, Necho II at about 609 BC. Um, so, you know, about 600 years later. And, again, this begins to show how pivotal this valley is and how often it was used for warfare in um, uh, the, the route there was used by Napoleon when he laid siege to Arc or Arca in uh, 1709. He accessed the, he accessed the Valley of Megiddo. And then uh, Ark is right about there. And so he, again, shows you how pivotal it is. And one more instance of that is in uh, 1918, uh, the, during World War I, the British and Indian forces um, were battling the Ottoman Empire, the Turks in that area, and they had the Battle of Megiddo there. And that was, again, one of those tide-winning battles of World War I where... The British forces and the Indian forces were able to beat uh, the Turks. Uh, and this was about September 27th of 1918. And October the 1st, so a, hand, you know, a couple days later, uh, they ended up um, signing the Armistice of Murdos, which uh, essentially ended hostilities between the Allied forces in World War I and the Ottoman Empire. And soon after that, the Ottoman Empire was uh, dismantled. Uh, which ended that threat. Uh, I don't, I don't know if you guys know much about the Ottoman Empire, but it was a powerhouse, uh, up to World War I. And talking about, um, you know, the, the Muslim threat to Christendom, that was huge. They were, uh, um, I think that was, uh, the biggest threat in, in the history that I know of, of the Muslims to Christendom. They, they were, um, very powerful and they were spreading their influence pretty quickly. And that battle turned the tide of that. And again, we see them dismantled shortly after. So 
a lot of pivotal things have happened in that valley, and we know that it's uh, mentioned in Revelation also. Um, so, again, we had that large plain, and in that large plain, again, that river Kishon went right through it, and it wasn't that big of a river. It was only a couple feet wide. Um, and But the plain was so... Um, well, like it, like it's here, like our our valleys and the plains here uh, in the valleys, they get wet, uh, just turns into a bog. Um, that area does so. Again, that's going to play a role in in the the strategy of the Israelites at the time. So Sisera had a strong position uh, at Harosheth, and uh, again, Deborah and Barak, Barak were uh, on the northern portion, and we'll read a little bit more here. Um, and just keep that in mind when we continue reading. <clears throat> so uh, we left off in verse 9. Excuse me, verse 8. So we'll start in verse 9. She said, I will surely go with you, nevertheless. The honor shall not be yours on the journey you're about to take, for the Lord uh, will sell sister into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak called Zebulon and Naphtali together, to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up with him. Deborah also went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had separated, separated himself from the Kenites. Remember we talked about the Kenites before, how uh, father, uh, Moses' father-in-law was a Kenite, and they helped the Israelites through the whole walk from Egypt through the wilderness. They led them, and, uh, and the Kenites were actually uh, metal workers. So I would imagine since the Israelites didn't have metal workers among them, that's how they got their... Uh, their tools, their implements made, and uh, even some of their weapons. <clears throat> but Hebrew the Kenite had separated himself from the Kenites, from the sons of Hoab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pinched his tit as far away as the oak of Zanam, uh, which is near Kadesh. And they told Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. And Sisera called together all his chariots, 900 iron chariots and all the people who were with him from Harasheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. Now, we see that uh, Heber, the Kenite, had a contract, had an agreement with the Canaanites, possibly because they had that such a large uh, iron chariot uh, military, that, that military force, and he, he was a metal worker most likely, so he, he was most likely working with them uh, to keep those maintained and to work on them and maybe, maybe even make more, I'm not sure. Um, so that's a possibility of, of how that interaction came to play and why they had that agreement. So, in verse uh, chapter 14, Deborah said to Barak, Arise, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor when 10,000 men following him. I'm going to stop there. Uh, so, here we see again Sisera with this military force here, and he's getting a little um, overconfident in his abilities because he has such a powerful force, and because the the uh, battle would be so lopsided. Again, he was here with his forces; they were here in their forces, and they can pretty much see the whole valley and across it. So he starts moving his forces into that valley. Nine hundred chariots with about ten thousand footmen down to Megiddo, where they eventually turned north. So that whole way, that whole uh, train of chariots 
uh, would have been a pretty impressive sight that the Israelites would have been able to see. Coming into that valley, going across it, and then turning, once they get down to Megiddo, turning north across the river Kishon in your direction. But this is where, again, God uses uh, his people for, for his will. And once they get across the river Kishon, they are fully, um, they are fully committed at that point. Uh, because retreat is obviously a little bit less limited because of uh, the river there. And uh, historical uh, accounts say that it started to rain. And that rain turned that valley into just, again, a huge bog, just a, a sea of mud. Which, of course, if it wasn't, if it was dry and it didn't rain, those chariots would have had the upper hand easily and would have been able to um, easily defeat the, the Israelites on a, on a level playing field. But because of that, started to rain, and it started turning to bog, the chariots started to get stuck. And the Israelites, again, Deborah, um, knowing God's plan, uh, saw that, and they took their op- that opportunity. And so they uh, charged down that hill, and they were able to break the lines, causing them to flee. Now, uh, we'll see here that uh, chariots are going to be abandoned. And uh, many fleeing would have even drowned in that river at that time, possibly. Um, and then we also see that most of they, they chase them all the way back to um, Harashith Goam and uh, kill most of them along the way. So, let's keep on reading. In verse 15, The Lord routed Sisera with all of his chariots and all of his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Hirosheth and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not even one was left. Obviously, that's a pretty devastating uh, victory, um, defeat for the Canaanites, but pretty impressive victory for the Israelites. Because um, usually when you have battles... Uh, pretty devastating losses, 20%, 40% usually considered like a complete victory. Uh, but this is essentially almost 100%. Now, we're in verse 17. Cicero, Cicero fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was a peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my master, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. And he turned aside into her tent, and she covered him with a a rug or a blanket. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a bottle of milk and gave him, or a bottle, mine says bottle, it's, you know, the skin, the uh, skins of animal type of uh, bottle of milk and gave him a drink and then she covered him he said to her stand in the doorway of the tent and it shall be if anyone comes and inquires of you and says is there anyone here that you shall say no but Jael Heber's wife oh we're going to stop here a sec um, well, we'll, sorry we're going to continue verse 21 
But Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and seized a hammer in her hand and went secretly to him and drove the peg into his temple and it went through into the ground. For he was sound asleep and exhausted, so he died. Uh, so we'll stop there. Uh, first of all, um, Heber had the Heber and his essentially group had the the pact with um, with uh, uh, Sisera and, and uh, Jabin. But uh, from my understanding, that doesn't keep the the women aren't exactly a part of that agreement pact. So this isn't really avoiding that agreement per se. So if if uh, Heber would have done that, that would have been an issue. But I guess since Jael did, it it wasn't. Uh, according to that specific pack. And we're talking about like a tent peg. Now, obviously we have tent pegs today that are these little uh, skinny um, skinny things. And in this case, the, it's not that. Um, th- you know, these, these pegs had to hold up heavy uh, canvas material that were their tents at the time. And... Uh, and so these, these were pretty huge. I mean, you're talking like railroad spikes, but longer because they had to go in the ground. And of course, it's holding it into um, pretty arid region uh, and some mountainy region too. So it just depends on where they were. But uh, so she's taking this huge, um, huge nail, essentially, huge peg, and is able to drive it into his temple, killing him. That's a lot of power. That's a pretty strong woman right there. Um, definitely very impressive to see um, the human body and how, uh, in harsh conditions, how strong it can be. Uh, and she was obviously skilled at that. I know if you try to give me a huge uh, nail and try to hit it, it's going to take me a while uh, to get it to drive it into anything, especially through a blanket into somebody's temple, through their head, into the ground. Um, that's that's some skill and some strength. So pretty impressive. Uh, so obviously she was a very uh, skilled and strong woman. So, um, verse 22. And behold, Barak pursued Sisera. Uh, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. And he entered with her, and behold, Sisera was lying dead with the tent peg in his temple. So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the sons of Israel. Uh, The hand of the sons of Israel pressed heavier and heavier upon Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. I think I neglected to uh, mention that Jabin... um, was a name pretty used pretty often in that area. And in fact, uh, Joshua, we can read, I'm going to have to take a look here, in Joshua chapter 11, verse 1 and 10, uh, had actually slew, had killed the uh, Jabin, the king of the Canaanites, uh, at that time, and burned the city. So it was Jabin's ancestor that uh, Joshua had killed and, again, burned Hazor. Um, so obviously there's a lot of animosity, there's a lot of issues between the Israelites and the, and the Canaanites. Um, but uh, another Jabin was killed at this time. And now we go into chapter 5, which... Yeah, we can cover chapter 5, excellent. Um, go into chapter 5, which is a victory song. 
And it gives us actually a little bit more insight into, uh, into that battle, into what led up to it. Uh, of course, she's praising God for, for all that he's done even before the battle, uh, but through the battle and then some of their actions taken. This is kind of, again, we'll see where, uh, um, you'll see that more than just Natural and Zebulun, uh, contributed forces to, to their cause. And, uh, again, it gives, it gives them some emotions. I'm not, obviously this is strange for us. We don't really make songs about victories, um, uh, military conquests and things like that, but this is pretty common uh, back then. So chapter 5. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying, The leaders led in Israel, but the people volunteered. Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O rulers. I to the Lord, I will sing. I will sing praise to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you march out from Seir, when you march from the field of Edom, the earth quaked, the heavens also dripped, the clouds dripped with water, the mountains, so I think that's where we're getting at the, it had rained also, the mountains quaked at the presence of the Lord, this Sinai at the presence of the Lord God of Israel. Oh, excuse me. So this is talking about uh, Mount Sinai and when uh, all the awesomeness of God that he was displaying at that time to the people, the earthquakes and, uh, and uh, um, the winds and the, just the, uh, the powerful natural things that God used to conceal himself from the people but to show his power at Mount Sinai. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath. And so here we're talking again... Uh, there's some accounts that say that Shamgar, you know, the guy who we just read before, who had killed the, uh, I think, 600 Canaanites with the ox goad in uh, chapter 3, verse 31. Yeah, 600 Philistines with ox goad. Excuse me, Philistines. Philistines. Um, they thought that they were possibly contemporaries. Um, but she's mentioning him here, uh, so possibly it might have been just before. But in the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted. Travelers went by roundabout ways, so the highways were uh, robbers were on the way, and, and people would get harassed, so people wouldn't use the main highways. Um, obviously, the Canaanites might be attacking and taking advantage of them. And also in verse 7, the mine says peasantry, but uh, it also means villagers, the rural people. Uh, they ceased. They ceased in Israel. Uh, essentially, they went to the walled cities where there was protection, so there wasn't people out doing farming like they should and cultivating the land because it was unsafe at that time. Until, verse 7, until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose, a mother in Israel, new gods were chosen when war was at, in the gates. Not a shield or a spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel. The volunteers among the people. Bless the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who travel on the road, sing. At the sound of those who divide flocks among the watering places, they shall recount the righteous deeds of the Lord, the righteous deeds for his peasantry in Israel. When the people of the Lord went down to the gates, 
Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, and take away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Abinoam. When survivors came down to the nobles, when the people of the Lord came down to me as warriors, when Ephraim, those who root is in Amalek, came down, following you, Benjamin, with your peoples, from Machir, the sons, uh, the commanders came down, and from Zebulun, those who wield the staff of office, and the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, as was Issachar, and so was Barak. In the valley they rushed at his heels among the divisions of Reuben. They were great resolves of heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds? Mine says sheepfolds, but uh, saddlebags. To hear the piping for the flocks among the divisions of Reuben. There were great searchings of heart. Gilead, well, I'll stop here. Um, so she's, um, you know, giving uh, encouragement and, um, you know, con- uh, con- congratulating the people that join them and for their, again, their um, trust in the Lord and their courage for fighting uh, such a outweighted enemy, somebody who would have easily defeated them if it weren't for God's uh, contribution. Um, so here we're seeing that she's doing that. And I think, uh, before we get too much farther, um, something to think about is do we bless God and the people who help us and can thank them for it, uh, whenever we succeed, um, in, in our lives? Um, do we, uh, I know it's sometimes it's hard when we're in it and we get through it and like, man, that was, that was hard. Uh, or that was close, or whatever it might be. Um, it's a lot easier to look back and think, man, God was really working in my life at that point. Uh, but let's try to uh, remember and focus on uh, what we're doing now and congratulate God and thank Him, congratulate people that are with us, and thank God for helping us through such times while we're in it, while we're going through it, um, not just years later when we start re- reflecting upon it and thinking, man, uh, I can really see God's... Uh, God's fingerprints, God's assistance in that through that time. So, when we are successful, let's make sure that we uh, that we thank God. Um, and here we're about to read about people that didn't help out. So, verse seventeen: Gilead remained across the Jordan. Why did Dan stay in ships? Asher sat at the seashore and remained by its landings. Zebulun was a people who despised their lives even to death, and Naphtali also on the high places of the field. So you can see a couple of the uh, the groups that didn't help, the Israelite uh, tribes that didn't help, and uh, asking why, because they were, they were being, again, uh, severely treated for so long um, that when they called for help from their brethren, they didn't supply it. It's because they weren't affected by it. You, you, you can't even see most of their areas on that map because they're either too far south or they're across the Jordan where there's a little bit of a, um, a buffer between them. Again, with the, the areas that the Canaanites did have, they were right in the middle. I mean, they were cutting right through their big chunk of the, that, the Israelite land. 
So they were a, a big thorn in their side. Um, but it kind of shows also the, the tribes and how they weren't united at this time. Uh, how they, only mainly if they were affected that they would be helping out. So, uh, verse 19. The kings came and fought, then fought the kings of Canaan. At Tenek, near the waters of Megiddo, they took no plunder and silver. The stars fought from heaven. From their courses they fought against Sisera. A torrent of Kishon swept them away. An ancient torrent. The torrent of Kishon. O my soul, march on with strength. And then the horse's hoofs beat from the dashing, the dashing of his valiant steeds. Curse, Meroz, said the angel of the Lord. And uh, Meroz is a town in Naphtali. So obviously Naphtali sent a bunch of warriors, but for some reason... Uh, this town didn't, so they're cursing them. Uh, verse 23. Utterly curse its inhabitants, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to help the Lord against the warriors. Most blessed of women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Most blessed is she of woman in the tent. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a magnificent bowl, she brought him curds. She reached out her hand for the tent peg and her right hand for the workman's hammer. Then she struck Sisera. She smashed his head, and she shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he bowed, he fell, he lay. Between her feet he bowed, he fell. Where he bowed, he fell dead. Out of the window she looked and lamented the mother of Sisera through the lattice. Why does his chariot delay in coming? Why do the hoofbeats of his chariot tarry? Her wise princesses would answer her. Indeed, she repeats her words to herself. Are they not finding? Are they not dividing the spoil? A maiden, two maidens for every warrior. To Sisera, a spoil of dyed work. A spoil of dyed work embroidered. Dyed work on... Uh, that work of double embroidery on the neck of the spoiler. Thus let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the rising of the sun in its might. And the land was undisturbed for 40 years. So we see that uh, the Canaanites, that, that battle absolutely crushed the Canaanites at that time, and they were able to have peace for 40 years. And the 40 years was... Uh, usually used for a generation. You see that in the, the wilderness and, and, in fact, a couple of other times where a, a judge rose up and, and conquered uh, the enemy. So um, 40 years of peace. The highways were safe. Um, people could actually go back out in the fields and work until, you can look ahead in chapter 6, but we'll stop here until another judge is needed. So thank you all.